Hey guys, welcome to episode 82 of Bono Stuff. I am joined by Dr. Heather Frabel, uh, as I say early in the episode here, rhymes with Vrabel for anyone who knows the Tennessee Titans football coach. She is a stone's throw away here in Colorado from us. We connected uh, at my wife's book launch event, and she is a pelvic health specialist, and I think this is a vital for us to be pushing out into the ether, make sure every human, male, female, transgender, everyone should be aware of pelvic health, physical therapy, getting assessed, and staying on top of these concepts so that we don't develop issues here. And if you have issues, understanding that there are resources, pelvic health specialists all over that can help us get over these issues. So uh, I'm going to keep pushing this. I also have, uh, I believe it was episode 42, I have to double check that, um, with Dr. Laura McCaig, uh, who was over in the Midwest, and she does men's health and female pelvic health. So I uh, hope you guys go back, check out that episode after this one, but enjoy, shoot over any questions, get in touch with Dr. Heather here in Boulder, and uh, we're going to let Beyonce rock out, and uh, see y'all next time. Hope you get at least 1% better. Here we go. There we are. We are live. <laughs> we got a little little Beyonce going. Check on it because we are joined by Dr. Heather Frabel, FR, and sounds like or, or pronounced like Vrabel, Mike Vrabel, um, if anyone knows the football coach of the Tennessee Titans. So uh, Heather is joining us from, are you in Boulder right now? Yeah, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, so a stone's throw away from where I am in Superior, and you also come to the office here in Louisville, so a little closer to where we are, and mm -hmm. uh, we connected at my wife's book launch event, and uh, obviously a lot of parallels over there between her work and then your work, and I'd love to hear and jump right into what you do, pelvic health, why we should be promoting it, what we people need to know. Yeah. Cutting off Beyonce, sorry. Sorry, Beyonce. <laughs> Yeah, cool. So pelvic health physical therapy. Uh, I'd like to say it's more of a household term these days, but still a ton of people don't even know what that means. Um, basically, think physical therapists were the, the function and movement experts, you know, looking at musculoskeletal and neuromuscular systems. And pelvic health just takes a greater focus on the pelvic floor. So we address men and women, you know, any issue, any gender um, and a wide range of issue, issues, you know, like prostate removal for men, for women, anything postpartum, diastasis, incontinence. Um, I like to say if you have any issues peeing, pooping or having sex, then you probably could benefit from a pelvic floor physical therapist. So that's that's the sum of it, and nice. and it's so much more than just Kegels, and yes. we'll get to that. I'm yes, sure, yes. in the future. Yeah. So, uh, and and just maybe give us a little bit of a maybe disclaimer. Uh, I like that elevator pitch for sure of any issues peeing, pooping, or having sex. Uh, but where where does someone like Maha come in? At what time uh, can folks think about or or getting that the psychological aspect? Is that something? I know you're you're going to refer out if you see them. Uh, but what, when should they check one first versus the other kind of question? Yeah, uh, that's a, actually a tough question because it's kind of either or. Sometimes people are seeing someone like Maha um, or a mental health expert and they get then referred to physical therapy when that person determines it's a physical issue going on. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then a lot vice versa. So I guess I do see a lot of people that come in for a physical issue. The further we dive into it, we realize there's some mental and emotional underpinnings, which I think the pelvic floor has more of that than any other body part or yeah. dysfunction in the body. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, chicken or egg, um, <laughs> I do refer a lot of people out for sure. And a yeah. lot of treatment in, in physical therapy is a little more mental, emotional. We do a lot of just like stress reduction breathing, yeah. mindfulness, but, um, awesome. Yeah. The bio psycho social model, especially when it comes to something like low back pain, uh, when it's a knee pain or ankle injury, usually it's a little bit less there, but sometimes, uh, but yeah, mm -hmm. awesome. So, uh, again, talking about pelvic health and I'll, I'll share with, share this to the listeners here. Uh, when I was in physical therapy school back, back in my day, um, 2005 to eight, uh, pelvic health and women's health was, was and, and it was only called women's health then. Are we, are we, is it mm -hmm. now the term pelvic health? Yeah. Term? Just like two years ago, finally changed to like the Academy of pelvic health mm. is what the section is called rather it's than women's women's health. health. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's because, yeah, men obviously have pelvises, uh, and, and have, mm -hmm. have pelvic health issues as well that, that, you know, we don't want to ignore. And of course, uh, non-binary folks, um, all these different, very interesting and, and, uh, again, hopefully more talked about things for sure. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but when I was a student, I, I kind of, because the main thing is, is the women's health. Uh, I was like, this seems like something that needs to be more talked about and needs to be. And I very much considered, uh, going down that path, but I think, uh, logistically it was just very tough as a man to go into that profession, uh, back then. I think it's a lot more acceptable now, but even now that you're still going to have issues with being one-on-one, -on -one, uh, in a room and even, even females need to be careful as, as a, as a female provider, uh, just being one-on-one -on -one in a room doing very again, intimate kind of, uh, therapy. So, uh, any, any thoughts on, on that whole, the emergence of that or, or any of that? Yeah. Uh, I will say one thing that actually really got me into this area of physical therapy was yeah. In PT school, I got one, one hour lecture in entire grad school about pelvic health. And I thought like, yes, we do need to talk about this more, not just brush it off. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think like, because it started as women's health, it's even harder to raise awareness that that men need this too. I will say I do have a friend that is a male involved in pelvic health PT. And he claims, I haven't looked at this, that he is like the only one in the state of Colorado that's a mm -hmm. male pelvic health therapist. So it's very rare. Yeah. Um, and yes, he is legally obligated to have a chaperone, mm -hmm. yet I am not. So hmm. we still have a lot to work out in that sense. Um, yeah. And I do think that we would benefit from more males in the field. Um, obviously, a male coming in for a pelvic health concern might be more comfortable with a man. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and the other thing, let's 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 take a big step back and define the pelvic floor, maybe for anyone mm. uh, not super associated with it or familiar with it. And and for me, as a more orthopedic sports physical therapist and, and fitness guy. Um, I, I, you know, I think the way I talk about it is the top of the, the core. And again, it's, it's interesting. And I wanted to go back to this because, uh, you know, over 90% of folks are going to deal with some kind of core or low back thing going on. Um, and so when you start talking about the core and, and some, I think it's, it's again, starting to make its way into the more, um, more mainstream of, of treatment that the core is, the top is your diaphragm, right? Where your breathing muscle is the bottom of the rib cage, uh, flank steak. If anyone likes cows, uh, and eating meat, that's the flank steak is the diaphragm mm -hmm. of the cow. Um, fun fact. 
So, uh, so, and we'd like to think of it as like a Coke can or a, a can of soda or whatever. This is Spindrifts. We're not sponsored by them, but this pineapple flavor is delicious. Uh, if Spindrift wants to sponsor me, I know they sponsor Mike Birbiglia, I think. So anyway, uh, his podcast, good podcast. So the core being top diaphragm, bottom of the core is the pelvic floor. And so when you're dealing with back stuff, a lot of times we tend to focus on, okay, let's get your core stronger. Let's get your uh, abs stronger. Let's get you to better able to hold a plank, maybe even a side plank. But I think there's a lot in between and missing there. So uh, that's a very, again, maybe overly orthopedic definition of it, but I'd love to hear how, how you talk about it and if I missed any major components. Yeah, I, I like to explain it as that as well. That just highlights the importance, the, the pelvic floor being that bottom of the core. Um, because yeah, we never, most don't ever address that when we're dealing with any kind of core retraining, you know, and, uh, and I see, and it was kind of cool. My career started with kind of a blend of pelvic health and orthopedics. And I started to see like my pelvic health knowledge was really helping me orthopedically helping people with low back pain, uh, that wasn't improving with classic treatment. Um, so yeah, so I think it's underrated as a power source, like drawing power from your pelvic floor to support your core or vice versa. If you're drawing too much stability and power from there, there can be dysfunction. Um, but yeah, in, in addition, I would say not looking at the pelvic floor as just a muscle because it's so different than a lot of other muscle groups. Like it really encompasses like three different systems of our body. You know, you have the urinary system, the reproductive system, because you've got an ovary or, or uterus or prostate in there. And then you've got the GI system. And all of those things, issues with those systems can be affecting pelvic floor and pelvic floor musculature can be affecting those systems. So it's also not looking at it just as a muscle group, but how it's interacting with these other systems in the body. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to define GI for folks in case yeah. they, they, they don't know that one uh, as G, uh gastrointestinal. So basically digestive system is the mm -hmm. overly easy way, just in case anybody missed that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. And then yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, again, so I, I think the question now becomes, what are the top three things we should know about uh, pelvic health, whether we're male, female, again, non-binary, uh, anything going on there that, that uh, will help us, A, prevent any kind of issues down there, uh, B, uh, and, and obviously we're trying to talk about it here and get the, the word out. So anything we can do there, uh, but, but B is, is, are there things, yeah, we can be doing to prevent. And then if we do start having issues, how do we say, oh, this might be something I should go see a pelvic health. And obviously there's all prevention is always worth a, a pound an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of gold or, or, or pound of cure. Uh, sorry, I messed that one up, but, uh, you know, so there's the prevention side and then there's the treatment side. Uh, obviously we want to keep pushing prevention, but uh, if, if, if people do end up with the issue already, uh, yeah. What are ways we can look out for that? And we can say, oh, like, I'm not going to go to my GP. I'm going to go right to my pelvic health specialist. Yeah. Uh, so prevention and awareness, I think is just like to everyone out there. Do you know what your pelvic floor is? Can you like do anything with your pelvic floor right now? Can you contract it? Can you relax? If this is totally a void for you and you have no awareness of what tension you might be holding there right now or what how you're using it when you work out, that's a sign of like, okay, you're you're not doing anything to prevent a dysfunction. I I wish and uh, you know how would people get this in, in an ideal world? I don't know. Maybe at your primary care visit. Uh, physical therapist gives you a little evaluation, but I would love people to 
know and optimize how they're using their pelvic floor while they're working out, while they're on the toilet and while they're having sex. Um, and then like, okay, when something goes wrong, I think, you know, it's tough. A lot, very few come directly to a physical therapist because, mm -hmm. okay, say you start having, you know, constipation, you're going to go to primary care or G, GI, gastrointestinal specialist. Or if you're having urinary issues and urinary tension, you're often going to urologist first, you know. Um, I wish everyone came to a physical therapist first for any, again, pooping, peeing yeah. issue with sex, uh, because I think even when you see those other specialists, there is some kind of muscular component that can be addressed. Mm -hmm. um, and not a lot of doctors know enough about it to refer those people out to PT. But, um, but again, it's a tricky thing. Obviously, something like a UTI, you're going first to a doctor for antibiotics. Um, mm -hmm. So that's tough. It, it's different than, like I would say, any other musculoskeletal issue. The second you have it, a mm -hmm. primary care is not the best person to go to for your back pain. A physical therapist is. But I understand that some of these pelvic dysfunctions, it's hard for an individual to parse out themselves. Uh, you know, is it a musculoskeletal issue or is it a medical issue? So, mm -hmm. um, so I can't necessarily say every single issue a physical therapist can treat, but we can right. at least tell you when you needed to go elsewhere. And I will say, um, primary cares, uh, you know, they're great at what they do, but sometimes bringing up these issues, first off, people don't want to bring them up to their primary care and some mm -hmm. get written off. You know, some people yeah. that say sex is painful, get a little written off by their doctor or a doctor mm -hmm. doesn't have much to do for them. Yeah, That's where I think like, regardless of the issue, whether it can be addressed by PT or not, if you go to a PT, you're going to get heard a little more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah, so for I'm going to come back to this is Bono stuff. And, and the reason I call it that is because I want to know more stuff. And so uh, I'm going to selfishly ask this question as as an again, orthopedic guy, uh, when mm -hmm. someone comes to me with back pain, hip pain, especially, um, I tend to ask those questions of like, are you having any of these issues? There's the any any graduated physical therapy and past it, for example, those that you know, if you have numbness or anything down there, whoa, that's a red flag, we got to we got to send you to the ER right now. But uh, there's a lot in between. Uh, nothing going on or very minor things going on and nuanced things. So I guess my question is, is would it be, is this something we could push for of you got back pain, you got hip pain. I'm happy to help you on the musculoskeletal side on the, on the, let's, let's get you stronger. Let's improve your movement patterns, let's improve your breathing. Let's get you tapped into that. I'm far from, uh, what I, I would not say I'm a pelvic health specialist. Uh, so would it be beneficial to refer every person with back and hip pain to a pelvic health mm -hmm. specialist or are there going to be a little less, a little more, you know, where, where there's that better situation. So maybe, uh, for, for the orthopedics out there, uh, of any kind, orthopedics, chiros, uh, orthopedic surgeons, what, what message would you give us, uh, of when to refer? Is it only when there's an issue or, or do you feel like there is a way we can get in there and again, empower the person? Cause an hour with you, I'm guessing is worth, you know, decades worth of education that, that go miss. So, an hour with you is a great investment, I imagine, in saying, oh, like now I understand a lot more and I know what to look out for now. Um, and, and, you know, if I'm really prioritizing my health and investing in my health, um, let's let you know, can we do? I think there was a question in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And twofold of when to know um, or I'm going to answer in kind of two parts, when to know, when to send a public physical therapy. I think first off, like, yes, asking these questions like. 
And, and not just like the brief, like any bowel or bladder changes. Cause I see a ton of people that just live life having what they think is normal. Like I had one patient once I was like, Oh, are your bowel movements normal? And she said, yes. And I said, how frequently are you going? And she said once a week. <laughs> so, so asking like, how often are you peeing? How often are you pooping? And is sex uncomfortable could be some better and less so basic questions. Um, so, so yeah, if there's any clear dysfunction that they're reporting, or sometimes I see a lot from orthopedic colleagues, it's like they start treating someone and it's like, whoa, they're telling me there's incontinence when we're doing this exercise. Um, so obviously if there's an actual dysfunction that arises or they volunteer and talk about, then send to pelvic PT. And then I would say not necessarily every low back hip patient, um, but if they just aren't getting better or aren't progressing how you'd expect, that's when I would say, um, you know, like maybe pelvic health would be something to look into. Oh, how often are you? Oh, that, I just put that in just to kind of summarize the, the, yeah. so we have that kind of but little blurb, like what are the answer to those peeing should be like once every three to four mm. hours, maybe once at night, pooping once a day. Um, and sex should never be painful, but yeah, I, um, I would love to see a world where all orthopedic PTs have a way to even just generally screen pelvic floor. Mm. Obviously we're not asking them to do internal exams, but can you even cue someone on what they are doing with their pelvic floor during the exercises? Like you even sound a little more cued in than most, like how are you using breath? Uh, when are you relaxing your pelvic floor versus contracting it? Um, and there's even really easy ways to like externally overclose, palpate a pelvic floor contraction. Um, so it'd be very easy to teach orthopedic PTs a little more about this so that those general patients that don't have any major dysfunction, you could make sure you're tapping into that underrated part of the core, but, um, but lofty goal, I know. Yeah. And you said sex should never be painful. I'm going to go ahead and say there's plenty of people who disagree with you uh, without going well, too far sure. down that rabbit hole. But that's but to, to the point that we're talking about, yes, for sure. But everything we just said does bring us to the, the common, I think, the big thing that a lot of people probably do know. And as you mentioned, uh, we didn't use the song WAP uh, as our intro song, but uh, the word Kegels is mentioned. So that's a big one out in the world. Uh, so I can I can talk about what I think of as Kegels, how I talk about Kegels. Um, and this is a controversial thing. Uh, to, for some people, it's not controversial. They just think they, they accept it. And so I'd love to, I know you got a few strong opinions on this. So let's, let's jump into that, throw it right back to you. Yeah. So, so first off, I mean, the word Kegel was used 70 years ago and, and by a man that was something that women should do, you know? So, so I got a little bit with the origin of it in the first place. And then the other thing I don't like about the word itself is that it doesn't really give you any context of what it is. And they actually had a research study that found like over 40%. And I would venture to say even more than that. Um, based on what I see, don't do Kegels properly um, because it's not, again, why don't we just call it a pelvic floor contraction so that people know what they're doing? Um, so, so I don't like the origin. I don't like the word itself. The other thing is that like, it's just, it's great that this definitely has become a household term, but there's so much more than simply a contraction. Like Every other muscle group, you know, the pelvic floor needs to be worked on with endurance and also with like quick contraction. So it needs more than just a Kegel. Um, and that's where like I have 
I had one woman once come in telling me she was doing 300 Kegels a day and why was she still leaking? Uh, and I asked her to see how long she could hold a contraction and she could only hold it like three seconds, whereas we want someone to hold it for about 10. So, so it doesn't, you know, describe the other realms of strengthening women need. Um, and I think people just write off all of pelvic health as Kegels. When in reality, like here we are talking about how it's just a piece of that core. And as pelvic floor physical therapists are good pelvic floor physical therapists, I will say there are some out there that still just believe in pelvic floor contractions. But um, we really look at the whole system. We're looking at their abdomen, their low back, their hips, how all of that is playing and working with the pelvic floor. So I see a lot of people that, you know, again, because of the reign of Kegel, they've just wrote, written off, like, I don't need pelvic PT because I've already tried Kegels. Um, so again, it was, in a way, I'm appreciative of Kegel for starting the conversation and getting people talking about their pelvic floors a little bit. But I think it's time to do away with the Kegel and uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's Improve not it, evolve it. Is that, that's what you're you're challenging is it evolution of the Kegel. You say that. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tie this in to my next uh, similar topic is uh, peeing while you exercise. So I'm in, I've been in the CrossFit space for a while. Um, there was a video that went out, uh, I want to say 2012 and it was, there was a competition going on and uh, one of the top female competitors it was during deadlifts i believe and you know you could see some urine on the uh, or some liquid uh, you know we'll assume it's urine uh, on the on the floor right underneath her she's you know she was working hard deadlifting you know double body weight something like that for a few reps so uh, they did a video where they tried to normalize the peeing because a lot of people pee when they exercise and and again if you're out there listening and uh we'll, we'll, we'll let you make the statement of uh, whether that's good or not or acceptable or not. But in that video, they, they did have a, uh, an MD who I believe was a, a, a urologist um, and she, or she was a gynecologist. I don't remember exactly, but she was definitely in the female health spectrum. And she kind of was like, yeah, it's totally normal. Like, and, and that's what they promoted. And then they had everyone, uh, you know, to make that person feel better because CrossFit's very community focused. Uh, everyone say like, Hey, I pee when I do box jumps and I pee when I do double unders. And, uh, even Rich Froning, who was the fittest man on earth at the time, the champion of the, the sport, uh, they had, you know, jokingly him say, I pee when I, when I work out too. Um, and again, it was, it was very lighthearted. And I think there was a huge pushback off of that. So, um, that was a long time ago. It was almost a decade ago. <laughs> um, so I do think it's come a long way, but also not that far removed from that. So, uh, tell us about peeing while you exercise and, and, uh, you know, what can we be doing to, to improve or, or what should we think about that? Yeah. Here enters the biggest like quote in the pelvic health world is an issue like that is common, but not normal. Mm. And yeah, I think we normalize stuff like that because it happens to so many people like other instances of that. Yeah. Anyone that's had a kid or it's like, Oh, well, I'm just going to pee when I jump on a trampoline or, um, well, sex is going to hurt after you just had a kid the first time you try again, you know, like these things that we are just expected to deal with, but you don't have to. Um, like, yes, I understand high intensity, high weight exercise, endurance exercise. Yeah, it's putting a lot more strain and asking a lot more of your pelvic floor, uh, but you don't 
have to pee. Just because all those people are saying they do, there's just as many people that aren't. Um, and it tells me there is something that could be worked on, on your mechanics and with your pelvic floor. Um, I am glad, I think like it used to be very common and untalked about, and I'm glad like even from then a decade ago to now, it, people are talking about that more. Like there recently was like a marathoner that like pooped herself while running and she started a whole conversation about how that happens and gymnasts are coming out about like, wow, you can sometimes see pee flying when they're doing their hardest trick. And uh, so at least we're acknowledging it's a common thing now, but I hope it doesn't switch to trying to normalize it um, because it shouldn't. You shouldn't ever have to wear a pad when you exercise because you're afraid of that. Um, and ties nicely into also why like a Kegel is not enough. Do you think a Kegel is going to stop someone from peeing their pants when they're lifting double their body weight? You know, like you really need a pelvic and here's a little plug of like what to look for in a good pelvic PT is you really need someone that can match your needs. Like if you are a CrossFitter, you shouldn't be only doing your exercises with a PT on a table. Like you should be lifting, you should mm -hmm. be, um, doing more than simply the pelvic floor. Yeah. And that's uh, one thing I always say, and I, I love those two things, common, but not normal. Something mm -hmm. I talk about all the time, especially as I'm, I'm 38 and, and, uh, you know, my, my, uh, classmates from high school, college are all like, Oh, I got knee pain. I got back pain. Oh, you know, it's a joke thing, but it's like, yeah, that's not normal. Like you shouldn't be having back pain and we can do something about it. So same thing here. I love, I love the common, but not normal thing for sure. Um, and, and then, yeah, that's the thing I say. Uh, and I think I said it when I, I, we saw your clinic mend, we'll shout out mend physical therapy in Boulder and, uh, the Louisville Lafayette area. Um, and, uh, I, I tell a lot of folks, if they don't have a barbell in your clinic, in that clinic, then, then they probably can't serve you quite as well as, as we'd like. Um, because yeah, we should be getting you back to the things you love doing. So if you play with a barbell, um, for sure, we, we got to make sure that person can get you there. Unfortunately, a lot of physical therapists, uh, can't progress past, you know, rubber bands, therabands, um, and, and not to disparage the profession too much, but yeah. Uh, and, and again, the, the, you know, pee, oh, pee, you pee while you exercise, like, oh, you got to start doing some Kegels, right? That's usually the go-to. Um, I happened to be listening to a podcast yesterday, uh, Jim Jeffries. I don't know about that. Very good podcast. I enjoy, uh, he's a funny guy. Uh, they have fun with it. Well, the, the topic happened to be pregnancy. So it kind of ties in nicely to, to our other, uh, component here. So, uh, the guest was the author of, uh, what to expect when you're expecting. And she has a, her own podcast of what to expect when you're expecting all that good stuff. Um, somebody shouted out common, but not normal. They like that. Uh, Atlas, <laughs> five, four, six. I, I forgot who that is. Sorry. Um, but <laughs> I think I know who that is. Um, and so, yeah, the, um, Jim Jeffries, what to expect when, when expecting about pregnancy, she said they were talking about Kegels the way they, she described it as the expert is yeah. Just contracting, uh, everything down there as if you're holding back some pee. I don't know if you like that cue or not. Um, no, that's a no. <laughs> you can, uh, you can, to, you can to provide a that. little rant on that one, mm -hmm. um, is just a lot of women actually then will do that. And, and that's the opposite of what you want to, you don't want to like stop your flow of urine ever. Mm -hmm. uh, one, okay, not good. Are you drawing some urine back up? But mostly just pelvic floor is supposed to be relaxed when you're peeing. And if you're thinking of that or actually practicing that bad. Um, yeah. 
Also, little like side note there too. I didn't throw it in my rant with Kegels and the like <laughs> exercise, like peeing when you exercise. Sometimes it's the opposite of Kegels that you need. Like especially these, for example, a gymnast that's peeing herself. Like sometimes your pelvic floor is just too tight and guarded, and then mm -hmm. pee is kind of slipping through these fatigued muscles. So also yeah. why Kegels not always the answer. Yeah, and and again, we'll we'll for anyone who's either. Uh, if you're not comfortable with this conversation, I don't know why you're listening. But uh, if, if, if you know, if, if you want the uh, analogy or the correlation to something else, so if you have similar tight muscles in your upper trap, and then you, you have issues with your shoulder, uh, it might be that we need to loosen up certain muscles so that they can function better. Uh, so if they're tight, uh, we we need to get them working better, right? We need to make them a little looser so that they can work better. Same thing uh, that I think Heather's talking about here. So uh, I, I like that concept. I like that. So uh, to finish off the Jim Jeffries, mm -hmm. I don't know about that podcast. Um, I can't think of the woman's name right now, the what to expect when you're expecting. But uh, yeah, so she was saying throughout pregnancy, uh, yeah, women need to be doing Kegels again uh, to, uh, you know, because the effects pregnancy has. Uh, and, and, and I know you want to touch on pregnancy and postpartum, and there's tons of myths out there. Uh, I'm sure anyone who's uh, been an expecting parent has been extremely overwhelmed with the conflicting information and, and, and all that. So I'd love to hear from, from the expert here on the science of uh, what should we be doing uh, with, with pregnancy? What should we be thinking about? And postpartum, of course, that's a huge other aspect to it. So pregnancy. Yeah. yeah, and these are, this is a population where I say like dysfunction or not, every pregnant woman should see a pelvic PT and definitely every postpartum woman should see a pelvic PT because even just to decipher all the good and bad information out there, like I've had women come in saying, after I had a baby, I was told I can never do a plank again. Mm. Or when I'm pregnant, I was told not to twist or extend or do any bar hangs. Um, Research-wise, there is nothing out there a pregnant woman is shouldn't do. I will say there is a little bit of lack of research on pregnant mm. women, um, but we haven't deemed anything unsafe. I don't tell women to avoid anything while they're pregnant. Um, the one the one thing there is some research on and, and a lot of even personal trainers will cue pregnant women on anything where you're bringing a barbell across your belly. Mm. Um, and it's not the reason you'd expect. It's not that we're afraid it's going to hit a woman's belly and damage baby. It's actually that they found women when they're pregnant. And the really interesting thing, even when they don't know they're pregnant, subconsciously protect that area and they were found to hold barbell a little further out to avoid their belly and then that puts you at risk for other injuries if you're not keeping barbell close so that was kind of interesting but that's really the only thing i cue women on and it's just but the caveat there optimizing how you're doing things because your body is changing when you're pregnant yes you can do everything but let's make sure you can do a plank without exacerbating a diastasis or let's make sure you know how to control when you're heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so to dispel that. And, and I think like, again, seeing a pelvic PT will dispel that and then personalize things a little bit for you um, yeah. because it's impossible to make these sweeping, you know, um, recommendations for pregnant women because everyone's is a little different. Um, yeah. And, that, and then, that's, mm -hmm. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, that's the school of thought I've, I've kind of heard over the years, uh, whether it's old wives' tales or whatever, is, is just because I've seen women nine months pregnant running marathons um, mm -hmm. with no no issues, <laughs> theoretically. Um, but but it, it, it's just the, the wives' tale being or the, the, the concept being, uh, you know, do what you've been doing. So if you haven't been running marathons, now is not the time to start. Mm -hmm. But if you've been running marathons, cool, like you, there's no reason you, you really shouldn't be able to do that. Again, is it the safest thing for the child? We could 
it's hard to research that for sure. Um, you're going to go off a lot of anecdotal and scary things. Uh, obviously, that you know, there's a lot of uh, sensitive thoughts around all that. But yeah, so so I, that that's definitely something interesting uh, to think about there. Um, yeah, so postpartum for sure, uh, and and during pregnancy, is there a trimester that you know you think every woman should, uh, every pregnant woman should should come see a woman's health, yeah. or uh, at that point we can say women's health specialist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in an ideal world, I think even early on in pregnancy to get some of those cues of based on their body, what should they be focusing on? What should they be thinking about when they work out? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, most realistically, I think like at 30 weeks is kind of the, the prime time of when there's a lot we can work on that a woman's not getting from just going to her OB appointments. Things like how do you actually push out a baby? Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of women, they can oh. either... Yeah, yeah I, I, on the podcast, she said, uh, basically, it's the same feeling of pooping. She said, that's how you should be pushing the baby out. Do you agree or disagree well, with that? The thing I don't like with that is a lot of people don't poop properly. Hmm. <laughs> a majority of people don't know how to properly I think, poop. I think she said, it's like taking the biggest poop you've ever taken in your life is, is yeah. kind of how she said it. So just like brace and push. Yeah. But again, yeah, I think not a lot of people know even yeah. what that means. And yeah, the push, a lot of people don't get good advice from friends when they ask about like, well, how do I push? Uh, so that's a big thing we go over and even actually feel it. Like, okay, are you, I mean, realistically, pelvic floor needs to get out of the way when right. you give birth, it's uterus and abdomen pushing. So it's teaching women how to like bulge and, and drop yeah. their pelvic floor while engaging abdomen. So, yeah, I, I, I always come back to this. We talked about prevention. Um, I, I guess what's coming up for me is thinking about and, and like a session with a pelvic health specialist, uh, even if it's out of in, out of pocket, if it's just cash, let's it's, it's going to be under two hundred dollars in around mo most of the country. It might even be a hundred dollars um, in terms of the, the, the impact that's going to have in the ROI. I can't imagine a better investment in your body, in especially when you're talking about pregnancy. Um, and some of the, the risks, especially on the female body, uh, after and in, in the postpartum phase. So you, uh, one of the biggest ones is diastasis recti. I, I, you said it, diastasis. Uh, mm -hmm. I always, I always like the pronunciation of things, uh, but diastasis recti, where again, the, the abdomen will split open and they measure that how many finger lengths. Right. Um, and, and so is that something you think can be, uh, reduced the risk of by having a little more awareness of your body and, and have seeing a pelvic health specialist? Uh, to, again, teach you to brace better and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So diastasis. A uh, and I'll even lump uh, in yes. some other postpartum dysfunctions like prolapse, mm -hmm. uh, those two. Um, I really think, and the research, again, is still emerging in our field. Um, and diastasis is kind of a hot topic right now of like, how are we even testing it? What is most important? But anyway, I am really under the belief, based on the research that's out there and clinical experience, that what you're doing pregnant during pregnancy, what you're doing during delivery, and then the really immediate postpartum time frame, I think you can make or break some of these dysfunctions. Um, mm. Well, I, I don't like to say break. Like I, I don't think right. a woman is responsible if they end up with a diastasis, but I do really think they can help prevent it or do the yeah. best they can um, with, yes, how they're doing things during pregnancy. The delivery is key. Like the longer you are pushing, because maybe you didn't know the biomechanics of how to push, your yeah. instance of prolapse is going to increase. Um, how you're lifting your baby after you just had a baby, you know, can yeah. 
influence the diastasis. Um, right. So yeah, and, and that's where I think, again, women are not getting education. So learning from a pelvic PT how to properly do that stuff, I think can be really helpful. And I will say, um, where there is some research, so France, where they get automatically 10 pelvic PT appointments after mm. they've given birth, their country has way lower instances of pelvic dysfunction and prolapse they looked yeah. at. Um, and then I, the research never got finished due to COVID and things mm. kind of getting thrown out, but I was involved in some research looking at does prepartum physical therapy. So it was just two appointments of physical therapy before giving birth. Um, did it decrease chance of a C-section? Did it decrease tearing? Did it decrease adverse events? Um, and again, never concluded, but I will say we started seeing some good results of, mm. um, you know, again, more promising birth outcomes and postpartum outcomes. Yeah, that's, I mean, again, it always makes sense. The same thing if you're going in for a total knee replacement, if you if you have one or two physical therapy sessions beforehand, it's going to mm -hmm. set you up for success and, and you kind of know what to expect and what to do uh, that's going to maximize your recovery time. So, and, and obviously pregnancy or any of these, these conditions we're talking about here are definitely uh, significant events that, uh, you know, we, we want to know how to recover from and prepare for. So I, I love that. I'm going to ask you and put you on the spot. And I know you guys have a Pilates studio uh, in your clinic, but do you, I've, I feel, I'm going to throw my bias out here is that I feel there are a few poor cues because, and a lot of women uh, in my experience have gotten their pelvic floor cues from Pilates yoga. Um, so What's your experience with that? Uh, is it is it again going to be variable of pr provider practitioner um, in terms of uh, how to learn to breathe and and in, engage the pelvic floor, if you will? Um, are they doing somewhat more harm than good? Or you know, again, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but but I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts on on again Pilates yoga and how that impacts uh, any kind of pelvic health. Yeah. Um, first off, goes back to the like do women even know how to properly, or men, know how to do a contraction or relax? Or are they feeling their pelvic floor move when they're getting these cues? Even if the cue is perfect, and yes, I think that's variable. Um, I will say I've heard decent things when patients tell me what their Pilates instructor or yoga instructor was telling them to do. But again, then it comes down to, are they actually doing the right thing with their body? Mm -hmm. And I see countless times I say, you know, and you have to be assessing it internally. And I'll say like, show me what you've done. And it's like, wow, you're actually bulging out and putting a ton mm -hmm. of pressure through your pelvic floor when you thought you were contracting it or your breath is so off from what you thought. Um, so I think their advice they give is good, but again, back to that individualized component is um, people aren't knowing if they're doing it right or is that needed for whatever their body might need. Again, if someone has a really hypertonic, tight, guarded pelvic floor, those cues for in, contracting and engaging it might not be right for them. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So, and it's tough. And then back to like, is Pilates super functional? You know, I mean, if that's someone's activity of choice, great. I'm not downplaying Pilates, but uh, that alone is not going to stop you from peeing when you're lifting, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, again, at least it's getting the word out there and getting people right. thinking about their pelvic floor, but um, yeah, it's not. And that's, and, and the term I use there is movement practice. And, and if Pilates is your only movement practice, I think it's, it's still missing things uh, for mm -hmm. some folks, especially since COVID Peloton might be their only movement practice. 
uh, where we would challenge the concept and say, hey, like, make sure you're including other aspects of health, strength, you know, all the ways we can think about fitness. Um, and definitely pelvic floor health, I think, needs to have a place in, in fitness uh, for sure. So one other uh, thing that brings me to, again, we, we're trying to call out all the professions, Pilates, yoga. Next one is, um, had, had, and again, uh, whether it's, it's your own experience and let's, uh, or the evidence that you can you know, think about is um, when it comes to midwives, home deliveries, uh, any of these other kind of non-traditional uh, aspects of, of, of birth, since we're still on that topic, um, how does that affect, do you, do you find again that that kind of, you know, it, we're obviously there's, there's all, all sorts of maybe politics or, or beliefs around that, but, uh, just in terms of what you've seen maybe from, uh, folks showing up, uh, to, you know, ultimately have some dysfunction. Is there more coming from those situations than a traditional hospital birth? Is it all kind of the same? Am I, am I kind of mm -hmm. chasing, uh, whatever that, that term is, uh, uh, Start. I don't know. I don't know what the term I'm looking for is, but yeah, I think you got my question. Um, yeah, I will say there is some research out there that, for example, if you have a doula, you're less mm. likely to experience tearing. Um, I, I don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure there is actual research out there that if you see an, a midwife versus an OB, sometimes your outcomes of avoiding, say, a C-section are a lot greater. Um, why that goes in and i often tell people to you know if you have a choice yeah see a midwife get some of that more holistic if you will care mainly just because you get more time with them mm -hmm. and i think that's the thing like ob's are busier and don't have as much time to be going over some of this education uh and then the other thing of like okay a midwife a home birth a doula the only thing in their wheelhouse is a natural vaginal delivery mm -hmm. um, or yes. Okay. Epidural could be in that, but they, so, so they try their hardest to make that successful. Whereas an OB knows they, they can perform a C-section if needed. I think they're quicker to jump to a C-section. And again, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's what the research was is that a midwife is more likely to hold off before determining if an emergency C-section were needed. So anyway, so they have more time, they have different backgrounds that affects your care. Uh, as for what I see afterward, honestly, I probably see more patients coming from midwives, uh, birth centers, home births, just because they're more in the know, like they mm -hmm. actually get the education that they should be going to pelvic floor PT afterward. Um, whereas, do I see more dysfunction from OBGYN hospital births? Um, again, they're not coming as much because not all OBs recommend pelvic PT mm. when really everyone should go to pelvic PT. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, anyone that gave birth in a hospital, if they had a C-section, that's a longer, slightly longer recovery. If they had yeah. a vacuum assisted or forcep assisted delivery, that is a lot more trauma on the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, you can have more dysfunction going and giving birth in hospital-based setting. Um, but, but yeah, again, I think go with who's going to give you time and attention. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, that, that reminded me of a thing. I, again, I see as an orthopedic specialist a lot is C-sections, the scars from the C-section. Mm -hmm. um, you know, early in my career, this is something that really stood out and, and has been present ever since is uh, I would get a lot of women showing up with back pain. And again, a lot of back pain for anyone not familiar, or if there's clinicians out there listening, uh, we get a lot of insidious back pain. We don't really know what it is. It's a disorder. It's hard to say, you know, even if it was like, oh, I was doing a deadlift and I hurt my back. Sure. We can kind of say, 
that was a specific thing that led to it. But again, it might be the uh, straw that broke the camel's back. It's not really the true underlying cause and anything like that. And a lot of times in my experience, I always say uh, back pain is uh, the victim. The back low back is the victim. The criminal is somewhere else. So the cause is somewhere else. So, uh, you know, when, when you have back pain, you have to become a detective uh, presenting in your, in your clinic. And so um, a lot of times with women, uh, I just found it consistently that it was like, oh, like there's not a lot of other things going on. Oh, you had a C-section. You, 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 no one has addressed your scar. You don't, you, no one told you to address your scar. Um, and a lot of times it was like six years later, like after their last kid, after their last C-section. Um, and because maybe that's in my, you know, my, my really overgeneralized whatever thing is, is that's when they finally kind of had time to feel it. Cause they were stopped. They, they stopped running after the kids and they finally, you know, were able to shove them off to, <laughs> to pre-K or kindergarten or whatever. And so, uh, the question is, yeah, in terms of, uh, I, I assume I know the answer to this, what you're going to say is, uh, every woman should be educated about C-sections and scars and how to manage that. But, uh, that's something I think in my experience as an orthopedist, uh, orthopedic specialist is, is, is missing the education around scars. And I, if I'm the first one educating you about how to manage your scar, and it, this is years after you've had your C-section, that's, that's not a great uh, assessment of our met or, or, or uh, look for our medical system. So yeah, any thoughts on C-section scars and uh, maybe things to avoid as well in that regard? Yeah. yeah, I think it definitely can lead to dysfunctions elsewhere um, when they're not addressed in, in kind of two ways, like the scar itself, um, you know, I see a ton of, and it can even be years after if that scar and tissue around it is very restricted, you know, that limits even like lumbar extension. If it's pulling at their scar and uncomfortable at their scar, they're going to be avoiding that, which can be affecting everything. I've seen just even like really in this, you know, there's a mental emotional component of just totally guarding that area of like some way I had one patient once she said two years later, she still hasn't touched her scar. She still wears a shirt all mm. the time. Her husband has never seen the scar. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of, of that restriction guarding. People don't work on it at all because they don't want to, because it's this trauma, because it's marking that event of them giving birth. Um, they don't think it looks good. And then the other thing though, I think that almost more than the scar itself is just what's lying beneath. So when you're cutting through a lot of things in there, um, or having this, this scar and this restriction, women have a really hard time engaging some of those deeper abdominals after. And if they're never trained how to do that after a C-section, yeah, their movement patterns can be thrown off for years and years. So that's mm -hmm. kind of second component that can play in. But you're right, they get no education besides the classic, like, don't take a bath for six weeks and yeah. come back if it's oozing. But I really think mentally, emotionally, and physically, women should be working on that scar. Um, I even have some women like indirectly mobilizing the area like a week out. Uh, right. And then of course, once it's like that six week, things are cleared, like definitely mobilizing that scar. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And then I definitely want to touch on this and I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got to go soon, but uh, men's pelvic health, mm -hmm. uh, just general generalities around that. And I would encourage folks and I'll put a link below uh, episode 38 of, of Bono stuff. Uh, with Dr. Laura McKig over in Kansas. Uh, she's a, she, she, one of her specialties is men's health, uh, men's pelvic health. So uh, what, what should men know? How do we break down these taboos? Hopefully we've done a good job so far. Um, and, and, and is there anything, again, men should just say, oh, like, again, is it, you know, uh, is it at age 
40, I think you get your first prostate exam. Um, is that the time that, again, we should be checking in and, and this, or should we be doing this sooner? Should, should every man, any age, uh, again, be getting this, this information, uh, go. Yeah. So yeah, I think again, men really don't talk about this stuff and they think pelvic floor dysfunction is just for women. Um, or that image of, yeah, like pelvic floor therapies only for old men after you got a prostate removed. But I will say in my practice, and again, like I'm in Boulder, people talk about these things more. Um, but majority of my male patients are younger, like, you know, in their thirties or below, it's not these only these old men with prostates. And what I see most of, and again, it's different where you are, but, um, things can go wrong with there's pudendal nerve innervates pelvic floor um, and can get irritated from a number of things. The biggest one, they call it like cyclist syndrome, sitting on a bike seat for extended amounts of time can irritate that. I've even seen it in CrossFit population, endurance athletes, nerves get irritated, muscles get tight, and, and men don't realize that they can address it physically. And it's symptoms like a numbness or tingling. Um, which again, some people tell you is normal. Like, oh, when you go for a long bike ride, yeah, your testicles are going to be a little numb after. Um, not normal though. So any numbness, tingling, even things that again, you might think are more the medical route, but like erectile dysfunction. I've had so much success treating people for erectile dysfunction by just looking at their pelvic floor. Um, so yeah, a wide range of things we can treat with men, any sexual dysfunctions, um, any incontinences, um, yeah. And again, it's, it's for young men as well. Obviously they don't have something like getting pregnant and being postpartum that they should like routinely being checked in with pelvic floor health, but, um, but definitely when anything goes wrong. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I'm going to let you go. So let's wrap up with asking where can folks connect with you, find you, what other resources do you want to leave folks with? Yeah, cool. So I am in Boulder at Mend Physical Therapy. Yes, we have a location in Louisville, Lafayette area. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyone in the public health world, like I'm just passionate about this. You can reach out to me and I can answer any questions, even if you're not in Boulder and in Colorado. Um, I guess a good way to contact me, my email is just heather at mendcolorado.com for, for any questions. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes uh, if anyone wants to reach out or you can always reach out to me and I can get you in touch. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Heather, for your time. We will yeah. sign off and hopefully you all got 1% better today, if not 10% or 20%.